From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is writer and director Nick McNulty. He directed the 2016 found footage film Capture Kill release, which you've heard me talk about before on the podcast. And his debut novel, Skinning the Coyote, is out now from Wicked House Publishing. Welcome to the show, Nick. To chat with you. And so can we let's let's start with with your 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 novel. Can you tell our listeners a little bit um, about it? My novel, Skinning the Coyote, is um, I've pitched it as dad lit. It's uh, very much the a, a cottage, a cottage read, you know, something in the eighties or seventies when you could smoke on an airplane, you'd find a dog-eared copy at the uh, the airport and read. Um, and it's a real mashup love letter to two of my favorite genres, to um, westerns and horror, and playing them both really straight, you know, not not ironically. Um, you know, I love, love, love westerns, love, love, love horror, and put these two things into a blender. Um, you know, really takes a page out of the book from uh something like from dusk till dawn where it's um it's going going along one story that the audience is fully uh in for the ride for until things get flipped on its head so this is uh you know a, a plot similar to something like 310 to yuma where it's got uh, some good guys and bad guys racing to a town to go and hang an outlaw and when they all get there and they're ready for a showdown with one another they um everything gets flipped on its head and they get into this battle with this supernatural beast and they all have to you know put their differences aside and form this uneasy alliance where nobody really trusts each other to try mm. to figure out what the hell this thing is and how to take it out okay yeah. yeah i love that so how did the idea for skinning the coyote come about for you for me it's like my my background is uh movies it's cinema first so this is my first uh first step into the novel world uh so this actually started as a script before it was something that just wasn't wasn't really feasible it was just a little bit too 
too big, too ambitious. Uh, you know, the genre flip is something that's a little bit riskier and started as that. And I wanted to make something that the real inspiration for this is Predator. I love Predator. Okay. Predator, Predator is one of my uh, favorite movies. And I think what makes Predator work that a lot of uh, a lot of the sequels and just handling of the franchise for a long time, it's got it's kind of course corrected now with something like Prey. But um, why that first movie works so well and same with the um, Aliens, the second Aliens uh, movie, which the sequels kind of lost is it sets up these really badass macho Marine style characters that, see, you know, they're these Green Berets, they're Marines, they're taking out um, a whole army, you know, giving off one liners, no, no problem. You've got the biggest action stars in the world playing them. And then suddenly this thing that you can't explain comes and it just mops the floor with them. And, you know, you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is the action star, still is the action star, if you're going to stack them up. And he's like the last survivor fighting in the muck against this thing. You know, and sequels went on where it's, you know, I think at one point they're like, when they're, I, well, maybe one of the aliens versus predators, the, the humans are just kind of cannon fodder instead of yeah, like this, just what there. should be this real threat to this. So, so, you know, I saw another movie that kind of did that right. That wasn't an aliens or a predator sequel was dog soldiers, where it's like, again, yes. we set up these, mm-hmm. these awesome Scottish soldiers are on like a training mission or something. And then it becomes a werewolf movie. And you're like, what am I watching? This is so cool. So I wanted to make something like that, but with the Western, it was just, the pitch was like predator, but a Western. So set up a great, a great Western with, uh, with tough, tough guys, tough, good guys, tough, bad guys, have them have their own conflict. And then without calling it a predator, cause we, uh, this is not the predator, but inspired, inspired by that of setting them up against something, um, out, out of this world, unholy, um, and essentially unbeatable, uh, and see what happens. So that's the real, the real draw and kind of, um, inspiration for where this story came from. Oh, yeah. Would you ever make it into a movie? Would you adapt it into a movie if the opportunity ever arose? In a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Hell yeah. <laughs> if okay, that cool. came. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's uh there was a there was a script first. It's in my mind. Um <laughs> and then it was like, okay, how do I make this uh this something else? But absolutely. Well it's, it is very cinematic though, the way you write. And so it's it's interesting because like in especially like again, it hit me with the cold open with how you're mm. shifting perspectives in a really interesting way by going like you don't I like how you shift perspectives and it feels like, oh, we're changing scenes almost. And I like how again it feels like you're reading. It feels very cinematic in the experience. And so I, I think it would be such a good movie. Um, and I love when movies take a huge turn, like take a huge plot turn like that and become something else. I love I love it when, you know, if a cool. movie does that, I'm like, I'm in. I'm, I'm in. in. And it can shift genre, <laughs> it can shift, it can shift genres. It can be like last last one I think that did it where I'm like, oh my God, I love you. Um is uh, barbarian. I was, just I was like, literally oh. thinking barbarian yeah. when you were saying yeah. that. I see. I'm like, just keep, oh. just keep doing this. Every movie ever, just keep giving me this because it's like it's a life energy. I love it so much. Me too. I I am curious what since you you have been in the film world and you've written scripts. How, how hard was it to adapt into writing a, a novel? Because the script and the novel um, have a lot of differences between them. <laughs> it was. In in some ways, it's very. It, I don't want to say very easy, but um, easier than I 
would imagine what it's like and in a lot of ways like extremely extremely difficult um you know when it comes to writing and say directing a film like it's got to it's got to be on the page but there's so many pieces that come together to make that happen um and in probably the most pretentious way i can say this the director is almost like the maestro that's working with a army of extremely talented people and they've got to they've got to be able to hone everybody's skills and bring it together but you've got that ensemble of work that if they can orchestrate that you've got it you've got um you've got magic as long as it was on the page when it's a novel you strip all that away and you the the sole author has to put that on the page and if it's not working then it's it's not working you don't have that other talent to to bring in to do that um so that's really difficult the uh, the writing styles uh extremely extremely different it's a little bit more naked because you're seeing all the words on the page versus what may or may not be there um in another capacity i think when writing a script i don't want to say your writing doesn't have to be as strong because i don't mean that from a storytelling perspective but you can um i generally tend to be a little bit more of an efficient writer when it comes to you know x happens so and so goes to the door like it doesn't have to be so um so flowery necessarily right um you you know you have to you you want to have a lot of white on the page and efficiencies and things happening so this here you're filling the page with words but you also don't want it to just be clunky and filled um just filled with words for words sake so that -hmm. makes it very difficult on the other hand and again, this is coming from somebody the first time novelist versus somebody who this is this is what they do. Um, I don't know what their process is like, but here I had uh, a bit of a Cole's note cheat sheet. You know, I, I think anybody of a certain uh, generation like loved the novelization of their favorite movies. And, a way, and in a way, it's like I got to go and make this. Um, so it's, you know, some things change, characters change. A lot of it was expanded. There's different perspectives that are seen, but in terms of who these characters are, what the beats are for the story, um, generally what's going to happen to get from point A to B to C was all there. And that, that writing and work did have to go into it first, but, um, that being done, um, did, did ease a lot of the, where am I going? It didn't feel aimless to, um, during any of the process. That's awesome. And would you ever write another novel then? I mean, obviously film is your first love, but would you, would you try a novel, another novel? I, I definitely would. It's not, um, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Like my, (laughs) my, my hat off to everybody that just does it does it does it once attempts to do it once like great good on you because it is a hell of a lot of work um and i see people just putting putting out so much work like it's it's incredible for me yes i would like to but like at the capacity that some authors are able to do um no no way and you know i've got a lot of lot of ideas that um would like to put to screen and you know most of those probably won't make it there for a variety of different reasons so it's um if the right one of those um there's a few that there's there's one at least where i'm like oh that is that is an idea but it's um i don't know how i don't know if i will but i would definitely do it in theory hell yeah and so i 
do you want to pick your brain briefly about capture kill release <laughs> which i have talked about before and i love it it is one of my favorite found footage movies it's weird and gross and has a fucked up woman in it and there's like weird sex on screen which we don't really get in, in found footage a lot and i just like how you subvert a lot of the gendered tropes we see not just in horror but in found footage in particular and i just like wanted to hear more about working on that movie and like I know that I had I had previously interviewed you and asked you similar questions, but I just want to hear more about like tapping into found the found footage subgenre to create this really cool little piece of found footage that I love very much. Yeah, do you just want to <laughs> general generally dive in or anything you want to know? Am uh, Ama on uh, capture kill release? <laughs> um. Okay. Well, I guess my big thing was like. I want to ask about like including like the sex scene in the movie because I know that's like very specific but again in found footage like we never really have it's usually guys being creepy and like hiding the camera and being weird to women but here she's like fuck yeah let's record us having sex and I love that like there's agency in it in a way that we don't ever see in found footage for some reason and it just is really cool to see that you know what I mean that well it's funny because you know talking about how unique that perspective seems but to me that seems so strange like we're the amount of people that are filming themselves having sex is just everybody every like it just it just is you've got it like it's it's the biggest cliche of just everybody at some point in some relationship is like experimenting with like oh what if what if we filmed ourselves and put it on there um and you know something that's so it's so vulnerable it's I was gonna say it's so naked it's literally naked (laughs) you know it's, it's this vulnerable private thing and you know when found footage is done right it's really just it's tapping into this realism and in this um am i seeing something i'm not supposed to see which this movie really has a lot of so it you know and there's a lot of just sexual energy in what they're doing both said and unsaid that it um really makes sense that it uh it should be there and i'm yeah i want to claim like oh i was trying to break uh break this by putting something in there that's not seen in movies but it really seems like something that um you know and in in all ways like you know you're saying there's the creepy guy with the camera i'm sure i'm surprised there's not more um creepy sex and found footage movies more um sensual sex and found footage more like found footage of found footage because it is like this found thing that what we're not supposed to see you know we're seeing a lot more violence in there which is less seen on that but i think the the amount of people that are filming themselves having sex and profiting off it and not profiting off it and keeping it private and stuff leaking like it's it's a huge it's it's where we are as a society so you just have to go um, to Pornhub and you will see thousands of people that decide to film themselves like it's it's just a part of our culture now there i mean there's so much in the genre that could pull on and stories that can be told it doesn't it doesn't even have to be traditional horror the idea of something like that being out there and found like it's just it's it's a lot it's a very intimate thing that people still have this like fascination to get on film and that idea of it getting out to the world is so scary that this this genre tapping into a lot of that of like it is found footage it's not i've made Mm -hmm. this for somebody to to see it just um it makes perfect sense to me well and again i think there's an issue we uh, about and this is like a whole other discussion about like 
people be okay with violence but not with sex and like not understanding like how you can link horror and sex in really sexy ways not just like sex is mm-hmm. bad ways and I just I love seeing that in movies because and I think there's more of that happening but I just I love a good horny found footage movie or a horny horror movie and it's just great I love horny horror so that's who I am I guess <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad we delivered uh there is there is a lot out there like you said there it's it's out there and a lot of it's out there like I want to say explicitly like here's what we're really saying and people are just missing missing the point but it's uh it's there it's there well so I would love to hear about how you got introduced to horror like how did you how did horror come into your life I don't think there was too much of that like this this is the moment i think um like there's a there's a couple things that it's um one i think all kids no matter what to a certain degree they like to be scared we as people like to be scared um you know why do we like a, why do we like a roller coaster you know we like to be scared in a safe way and kids really like it i'm actually a big I, I, there's a lot less of it now, but um, there used to be a lot more horror aimed at kids because it's something yep. that they just yeah. like. And, you know, it, and I'm maybe pulling this out of my ass, but maybe, you know, kids, if you're b- born of a certain generation, there's probably more horror fans because we just grew up that had this like awesome catalog mm-hmm. of horror for kids, but it wasn't, it wasn't pandering. It was like still scary. The scares are real and there's i don't want to say it's uh doesn't exist now but it's it's not there and kids kids like to be scared they like to put their toe right up to the line they like the thing thinking like they like to show how brave they are and then they're gonna have the nightmare later but it's um it's it's cool it's important so like you know i that's not unique to me i just like always loved it um i had i have two older sisters so it's like anything they watched i would just watch i'd have to like you know what whether one of them was watching me or just like me wanting to like be included um but you know they would watch things that were probably like a couple years ahead and i would just like have to see it and then of that same generation like obsessed with the horror movie section in the video store that's me yeah Mm -hmm. that those grimy vhs covers like that are cut and put in the clamshell cases that are all dirty and like you you can't rent but it's like when you're going to find a movie you kind of sneak there you gotta look at all of them you know you see a shish kebab going in a guy's mouth like "Ah." yes you know and you you swear looking at the covers yeah Yeah. and you swear like i'm gonna watch every one of these movies someday and 99 percent of them didn't live up to like the version of the movie remotely You know, so yeah. it's like you you probably would have been better watching off the movie as a kid and being like, oh, it's not it's not so bad versus like what some of those covers were as a kid. So I like, loved, loved, loved that stuff and uh, just stuck with it. I did, maybe some people like they they're scared and they run away and they don't do it so much, but like love it and loved, loved it then and just uh, stuck with it even when uh, when it scared me, because I think when it scares you, that's what uh, that's what makes it the best. Yeah. How how much older? Uh, or what's the age difference between you and your sisters? They're uh, two and four years ahead. Okay, okay, okay. But cool. we had kind of 
I, you know, I could say it, the statute of limitations is passed like a black cable box <laughs> at our family. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's just like, what at whatever movie was on, like, just, just watched okay. it. Yep. You know, my, my parents were shift work. So it was kind of like, if, uh, okay. if my mom, if my mom was gone, then it's like what my dad wanted to watch is also what we were watching. So, uh, you know, it was, it was a time when they made a RoboCop cartoon, you know, the, you know, yes. it's called, mm-hmm. it's called, you know, and we somehow all watched it. And then watching with that all dies, like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Cause, Cause I grew up in like the eighties. And so like all the kind of stuff that would come out that were adaptations of something that was for adults or like for older kids and is now like being presented for young kids was all over the place like everything they from new attack of the killer tomatoes to like there was a fucking toxic avenger cartoon there was a toxic avenger cartoon there was yes. a toxic avenger cartoon holy shit i forgot about that to- the toxic crusaders but uh that's yes. right yep yep but yeah it was like when i saw that movie still saw that movie too young loved it loved it as a kid that shouldn't have been watching it but i'm like this is the this is the movie that the cartoon was based on uh yeah we had there's robocop attack of the killer tomatoes there uh when terminator 2 came out there were toys for that like a whole army of toys that i I remember terminator oh sorry go ahead no go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say i i had collected a bunch of the alien toys like they made a bunch of like aliens toys in like the early 90s i want to say and it's like they're advertising rated r movie ripley aliens death destruction to young kids yeah weirdly yeah it was the aliens cartoon was my or sorry the aliens um toys were the introduction to aliens for me okay i had, I had a friend that his uh his dad just let him watch whatever he, so he came he was like oh there's aliens i'm like what are these you know and like that i'm like now i've got to watch this uh this movie and like became obsessed with it but yeah aliens uh actually the aliens toys I read something recently that because they like the designs of them all looked really different. I guess they tried to get like a comic book going um, and or no, oh. no, it was going to be a I think they tried to get a Saturday morning cartoon based on aliens. And like just because of likeness oh. reasons, they they changed the way they looked. So because of this, they made these badass toys. And then last minute, I think somebody got cold feet or it didn't work. Cartoon got yanked, but they had these toys in production. And that's how we got those wicked Kenner aliens toys that's so wild to me whoa like what a time to be alive in that if for to be a kid in that time i i honestly think the best toys were in the 80s and early 90s that we had the toys there there would be a toy for everything there'd be a cartoon maybe there'd be a video game uh Mm -hmm. you know probably not very good but you want a total recall video game you got it nine elm street video game a jason video game i was playing as a kid i was playing those I'm a I'm a big fan of the Jason video game. I know it's got a bad reputation, but it's like there's some there's some good early survival horror going on there. Creepy ass score and uh, again, yeah, you want to talk horror? There's a game over. Have you ever? Do you remember what the game over screen for this is? No, I don't. You okay? So you die, and it's like you get this like an eight bit uh, sound of like the Jason sound goes quiet. And then it types out, you and your friends are dead. That's and right. That's I've... right. And reading that is like, that's like two, 
too real. That's a lot for a kid. That is a lot. That's, for a, that's, like, that's a lot. Whoa. That's a lot for me. I care. I I carry. I carry that weight with me now. I'm like, shit. Should I <laughs> should I play that game? I don't want to. I don't want to hear that me and my friends are dead. <laughs> I had never beat that game. I would always get murdered by Jason, and it was it became like a frustrating thing for me. So I never I never finished it, and I stopped playing it. But yes, I now that you are mentioning it, I do remember that that text oh you and your friends yeah it goes quiet it's over black you hear i think you hear the text typing out and it's just like it's it's unsettling well what is do you remember the first horror movie you ever saw so i don't know if this is the first but uh we talked about this before but something that like just really stuck with me um my sisters loved um little shop of horrors and for me when i was like a little kid there's something about I don't know why, but anything with like sharp teeth, that was it. That's like I can't okay. can't handle anything with sharp oh. teeth. You know, if a dinosaur had like filed down teeth, that's fine. But if a dinosaur has like a mouthful of like razor sharp teeth, absolutely scared the shit out of me. I can't see this. And Audrey too, that incredible puppet had like rows and rows and rows of sharp teeth. This movie is just it's got great music a murderer's row of murderer's row of comedians (laughs) uh you know so my sisters are enjoying it for this reason and like i can't i can't grasp that this is a comedy but still weirdly drawn to it like when's that plant gonna come and then whenever that plant did come and just this beautiful puppetry full of teeth just no scared the shit out of me so that's probably like one of the earliest memories of like something horrific going on there okay Um, and then probably when, you know, we're talking kids horror movies that really stuck and, you know, we're going to the eighties where it's like, what flew as kids was a little bit looser then, but mm-hmm. uh monster squad for me, struck a squad. to this okay. day, I'm like, forget Goonies, it's monster squad all the way. And that was kind of my, like, this is the safe zone of horror, um, which you could just watch like again and again and loved it loved 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 it uh were you a scared were you scared easily as a kid i was i had a lot of empathy of things that would happen in movies there was like the sharp teeth thing when i was like much smaller just like a no and then when i got over that to a degree it was like i could watch it get scared and it's fine but then when something like really real happened and it was always like like littlefoot's mother dying in um (laughs) Ugh. in land before time like Ugh. like this that's a that's the start of the movie and i'm uh you know people talk about bambi's mother but that's like not a thing i think that's 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 no. overhyped a deer a deer gets but this is like she's dying she tells him life lessons and you're like couldn't handle that 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 broke me it's funny because that broke me and then also the dumbo scene where the mom is is, oh is in her like and she's cradling her baby with yeah, her trunk like that broke me Stop. like fuck bambi these are the two things that scarred me as a kid and these and these these are the horrors yeah because before that um yeah like dumbo's mother has this like rampage and it's a pretty scary scene and it's like that to me like stuff with i you know, even as a small kid, I could see like kids and their mothers and losing them. Like that was unlocking a level of horror. Uh, just forget, forget the monsters. The monsters were fun to like toe up to, but I could still tell that was not real. And then even though this is a cartoon talking dinosaur, when the cartoon talking dinosaur is dying and talking to her car- cartoon dinosaur son, that just like bawling and can't handle that. And then 
yeah, I brought up Turner and Hooch, whoever's decision it oh. was to shoot a dog at the end. Oh. Like it, it's always it's always bad to shoot the dog, but like the whole concept of the movie, it lives and dies on like, what if dog was funny? What if dog drooled on Tom Hanks? And then we're gonna shoot it. And uh yeah, I think my dad regretted renting that because he's <laughs> he's trying to he's trying to calm me down at the end like oh look there's puppies because like that's the reveal and i knew it's like doesn't matter who just who just dead man they really like to fuck with kids uh yeah that, that that's, time this, actually this, yeah this is what we've unlocked this is, this is why that generation's so in a horror it's not because of the horror movies we had it's because the kids movies and night it's just like fuck it we're gonna go there yeah i was um i was on tiktok the other day uh, as I as I want to do, and they were there was a video, and I grew up in the '90s, and it was like this is what your like non Disney prince favorite non Disney princess movie says about you, and my favorite non Disney princess movie slash my favorite Disney movie is Anastasia, which is the tale of Anastasia Romanov and how she escaped the hands of Rasputin. Didn't think about how that movie. Have either of you seen Anastasia, the animated Anastasia? Yes. Didn't really until like two days ago put together that that movie is essentially a horror movie and it's all body horror with Rasputin and that was my favorite movie as a child and that just that really kind of explained so much about who I am now and I wanted to be Anastasia and fight uh Rasputin and like pull him apart so like amazing Don Don Bluth man he knew uh another I was another movie I was thinking about for this was uh all dogs go to heaven because like (laughs) Jesus Christ me up as a kid but I loved it It, but it's it's that he's yeah he he got it he's like kids can kids can handle it kids are smart I think that's true maybe we maybe we can't because we're like all unpacking this uh (laughs) decades later If he wasn't traumatizing you, he was making you lust after anamorphic creatures like Justin the Rat Mm -hmm. or Robin Hood or Maid Marian, depending on your interest. Like that is it's so funny to me that he was tapping into both like horrific things that would not talk down to kids, but then also making incredibly sexy animals. And it's so weird to me. Don Don Bluth, a pioneer in horny horror. There you go. Started there. Don Bluth. Um, <laughs> did he also have a great mouse detective? You know, I'm not sure. I but just, that one is another. <laughs> I just have you seen the great mouse detective, Nick? I have not. So it's like it's Sherlock Holmes with mice. It wasn't. And him. um, it wasn't. Okay, it's a Disney yeah. movie, but it involves there's a burlesque dancing scene with a mouse who is has huge tits and is in like doing like a strip tease. And it's with a children's the, animated movie. The kicks and, and everything. It, it's my favorite because it is the most inappropriate thing I've ever seen, but it's fully animated in a children's Disney movie. And you she's like singing about being like as, as soon as we're done, I'm looking this up. Oh, I'll email it. <laughs> oh, but so are you getting away from uh, attractive animated uh, creatures? Um, as we which we can keep on. talking about if you want. No, I mean it's okay. We can we <laughs> go can. down that rabbit hole. Go down that route. Um, but um, are you? Do you still get scared watching horror movies now as an adult, or are you more jaded? Um, I don't. I don't want to say jaded. Like I. Okay. Like I, I like, cause, but it's, it's rare to scare me. It's like, I yeah. love, I love the ride. And I probably like, I probably love the ride more than something that 
does scare me not to say I, but like if something scares yeah. me it's really that it's like it's got to be super um unnerving which i love i love when a movie can do that it's uh it's a lot more rare but that's mm-hmm. when it does do that it's not um it's not necessarily a fun thing that i want to like keep returning to um yeah. so you know coming coming back to something like barbarian it's got the twists and turns and like that but it was fun it's fun it's a fun ride even though there's some like pretty yeah. dark themes in there like i would watch watches again if it un if it unnerves me then yeah i still i still i don't want to say jaded because like i love it i love yeah. both versions but it's probably what i want to watch less of you know it's um you know think and and movies movies still do it they'll get under your skin do you remember the the last movie that unnerved you a few like I want to say recent, but some of them are like ten years old now. Like I think uh, I think Sinister did a really good job with mm-hmm. just like kind of it where it was kind of like really pulling where that was going. It all felt uh, very earned. Um, the you know really kind of famous the end of uh, the Strangers and what what does like that for sure. Um, Martyrs, um, mm-hmm. which Martyr Martyrs is a nice rare case of it's it's really unnerving but when coming back to what we're talking about about switching genres i knew like not i'm like what am i watching is yep. this a supernatural movie is it uh <laughs> is it is it this or that a movie i would like not as a whole but um you know there were bits of um not traditional horror but parasite i thought was like mm-hmm. it's starting to get in some bits i'm like holy shit like do i want to do i want to turn this off when it's like when things sort of flip and you know talk about a movie that's doing so much with uh with genres so yeah, yeah it's they're they're there it's um you know some, sometimes it's like it's too it's too much for me i don't think i've finished um i've like after like six attempts, I've never finished Gummo. Like that's just too. Oh, I I've, haven't. I have never seen Gummo. Watch. I haven't tried it yet. I'm nervous. Harm. <laughs> movies that, make me nervous. It yes, it makes like, and that's that's next next level. I think um, that's like, like too, transgressive to like the extreme. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, too. Like wow. the yeah. There's like a few in there where I'm like, okay, you have you have achieved this that I cannot finish. I haven't finished yeah. Inland Empire. I'm just like, I can't, oh, I can't. I, want I haven't to. tried that one yet either. Uh, it's, and even the bits I watch, I'm like, this is, this is good, but it's like, I'm a big Lynch fan. And that's like, he's pushed this to another, yeah. another level. So it's like horror can be so many things. Um, I could be scared. I could be unnerved, but generally a lot of times when I'm kind of talking about what I'm into, it's probably that ride that we're, that we're chasing. Cool. Yeah. I get that. All right, Nick. Well, we've talked about your horror history and your creative works, but uh, what movie did you bring with you today for us to discuss? <laughs> I brought with me a banger of a movie, just brilliant, brilliant piece of cinema. Um, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Ah, yes. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So in the film, when eccentric man-child Pee-wee Herman gets his beloved bike stolen in broad daylight, he sets out across the U.S. on the adventure of his life. Yes. All right. So I have not watched this movie in a very, 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 very long time since I was a kid. And 
I have a lot of thoughts about this, but I am curious. Take us back to the beginning. How old were you when you saw this? How did you see this? Why is this one of your Scarred for Life picks? Uh, I saw this movie. I was probably like four years old. Um, oh. when, wow. So oh, when I was like, <laughs> wow. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> When I when I was a kid, my grandfather had like every movie imaginable. And he had for some reason he had them all on uh beta. He had a VCR and a beta and he would just I grew rent up with a beta. But but they were all pirated beta movies. Yep, he would rent absolutely. movies from from Jumbo Video or wherever. He'd tape them just like without seeing them, and then you we'd go to visit him and it would just be like better than the video store you went because they're all just like handwritten labels like three movies on each beta tape and that's that's it so it would just be like you would kind of just watch everything you know if you to get through the tapes and then it's like you get again having uh older sisters they know who peewee is into into this movie and it got a lot a lot of play and yeah i mean this this movie's this movie's a lot. This movie is a lot. Like Pee-wee in general is just a lot. There's some like on paper, I don't know how it worked. That <laughs> 1980s cocaine just must have been as good as everybody said, because there's something that shouldn't work on paper. I couldn't I couldn't pitch it to you if you gave me $10 million uh, and make it make sense. But this uh this mad genius came along with this idea and he sold it to the world and it was not small it was not like oh there's this weird little movie you've got like peewee was a cultural phenomenon it was like i think he started it as a stage show and then that just ballooned into i think that i think the movie came before the show and this movie is just like he did have a an hbo show that was like more geared towards adults a little bit like Ah. it was like and so he had that and then that is what got him this movie and then it became like a kid's show but like the original thing was he had he tried out for saturday night live he didn't get it because um gilbert godfrey got got it over him and so then only he was two thinking, li- only one freak allowed on snl at a time <laughs> right? only one freak allowed <laughs> and then he did this this uh hour long i think it was called the Wee herman show i think is what the original thing was called and it was a little bit more like we're not talking like adult humor but like we're talking about it, it was like more of a nostalgia thing for adults that grew up in from the 50s and seeing like a howdy doody show or whatever they grew up on in the 50s mm-hmm. it was like the intent behind it and then they got this movie <laughs> yeah and it's like it's it's all brilliant and madness and why does this work does it work is this just is this my nostalgia? Is it Brit? Like, what do blind eyes coming to see Pee Wee Herman <laughs> think of what what that is? Um, and I don't, I don't even know where to start because there is just so much with everything Pee Wee, and in particular this this movie. Like, I was um, a Pee Wee fan, but like nothing came close to the just everything right that happened with this this movie like the second movie was not very good the show it's like it's it's fun and neat and crazy but it's like this movie just does it so what see what 
parts terrified you as a kid? Like, let's let's use that as a jumping off point. Like, what were the scenes that particularly, like, make this a scarred for life pick for you? I can think of a couple, but I'm curious what they were for you. They're probably what you're thinking of, but it's also the package. Like, Pee-wee in general, it's just, like, it's it's fun, but the whole thing is, like, a little unsettling. And, like, kid brain doesn't have the the words to explain why this doesn't kind of sit right you've got this like this man pretending to be a child but it's is he a child like to the ill-fitting clothes the haircut is like his everything which it's it's funny but it's a little off-putting you've got the crazy uh danny elfman score which just like does does everything that the danny elfman score is going to do and then there's a couple particular scenes, which are probably what you're thinking of. Um, first, the first one I thought of, which I was like afraid of, but also obsessed with as a kid was the large Marge scene. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, the large Marge, like, you know, scream at that reveal, but also like would rewind it and watch it again and again and again. And as a little, as a little kid, it became this like party trick for adults to anyone that would listen that I had this, like without any context to anyone that would listen, I would give this large March monologue (laughs) to them. That's amazing. Yeah. It would just, yeah. I would just, you know, and then it's, you know, you're probably at a party and Nick do the lunch March thing. And they don't, they don't know what it is, but I would very seriously tell them, you know, on this very night, 10 years ago, ago. on a straight, on the same stretch of road, there was a dense fire. Yeah. I've got it all burned in there in my mind. Beautiful. I I have a very specific memory of that scene because it terrified me too, as a kid. And I would get to the, I would not only rewind it, but I would hit pause and then do the little skip ahead yeah, thing to try yeah, to see the change between when she is like a woman and when she is the yes. stop motion uh-huh. type stuff. I would go frame by frame. It's a real early case of like how you, you recognize that like they've done something like a, you, don't, you can't put into words how a movie is made or what but like how did how did it get from her face to this and you want to watch those little bits totally did the same thing you know one of those uh i was gonna say vcrs like beta tape that had like an, an actual slow-mo play which yep. played through i had a frame by frame on my vhs for this and so you would be able to like click it and go back a frame at a time and i definitely did that so there's definitely the large marge scene is like the the grail of the movie like this of is, course you know that's a, uh but then the movie's got a couple really terrifying nightmare sequences where it's like you know peewee's bike has um he's lost it and he has a couple nightmares about what's happening to the bike and it's got a, you know and this is um again the danny elfman music does a lot of heavy lifting like he's got mm-hmm. this score specifically for these nightmares that's telling you that's happening and so the first one it's you know I think the the bikes in hell and the devil's like burning his bike. And it's like, you know, the music makes it kind of scary, but it's like, it's, it's a little scary, but it's like accessible. The second nightmare, Pee Wee dreams that these like clowns have taken his bike and they're going to come and they're going to do surgery on it. Yes. So, the, so, you know, clowns, clowns are terrifying as we all no um you, we've got the music we've already seen the nightmare and it's like and there's all these cuts to peewee where he's we're not just seeing the surgery we've got like he is selling the hell out of every reaction of like, what they're doing to his bike and these clowns go and they bring it to this doctor as this music plays and they're chopping up the bike 
And then one doctor, he's wearing a mask and he rips down his mask and he's got this like horrific clown. He's not a full clown. He's a man and he's got this like Joker ripped face clown makeup on. And it's it's horrifying. It's like a legit nightmare fuel. And no matter how many times you see the movie, the thing with these nightmares is like the movie, it does a lot of stuff he goes on said big adventure but you know you don't really know when those nightmares are coming since they're like this reoccurring thing so it's like it's fine he had this adventure he ran into this character but then he's knocked out and he goes to sleep and then we hear that music come up and we're like oh shit now we're getting back into these nightmares so like it's it's a fun movie but it's like it keeps you on edge on like what the where the nightmares are gonna come later on throughout i mean it's like a fever yeah. dream in and of itself and then you have these fever dream nightmares in the middle of it. And it's just like, it's a lot. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I, so, so again, I had not seen this movie since I was a kid. I used to watch this movie a whole lot. But I, a lot of times when I did that and we would go revisit something for the podcast, I would remember things as I was watching it. And I'll be perfectly honest, aside from the opening bit, up to I think the bar the biker bar, which by the mm-hmm. way has a cameo from um Elvira herself. Uh, Cassandra Peterson is yes. the, as the mama at the that like grabs him and is basically gonna who knows do what to him. But like that is all I remember from this movie. And so like the last half of it, I'm like, did I just watch the first half of this movie? Because I had no recollection of anything that would follow after that. Nothing. But I did have this weird like. Do you know how like the idea of food or smell or taste can like bring you back to being a kid? Well, this movie made me remember that as a kid, I would sit there with a Pez dispenser and just eat Pez. So I like can I for some reason, this movie and Pez is like an unlocked memory of I was sitting here and it's like, oh, my God, I remember seeing this part and eating Pez. Like that is what I remember about this film. And it's such a such a weird memory to have unlocked watching this last night. That's beautiful. I love the, I love the compare comparison to food and unlocking memory that it's, this so is weird. going reverse. You, you're tasting Pez as you're watching. Yeah. This. And I haven't had Pez in, since I was a kid and I could taste that artificial fruit flavor, like wild as I was watching this movie. It was like, it's so weird. This movie is weird. <laughs> this movie yes, is weird. It is. <laughs> so you, but you did mention <laughs> You did mention that you were curious about someone that's seeing this with blind eyes. And we luckily have one of those people sitting in this uh, Zoom room with us. What did, what did you think about this, Mary Beth? Um, um, I don't. I... <laughs> Not to put you on the spot. I don't did you, like Pee Wee Herman. Did, did you watch any? Did you watch any Pee Wee or is this like the... This is the introduction. So, it's like I knew I knew what Pee Wee Herman was. I was scared of Pee Wee Herman. I didn't like I, I didn't like the couch, like the talking couch freaked me out. I didn't like his voice. Just like everything about Pee Wee Herman made me deeply uncomfortable. There was something about him that I just did not that I did not trust. <laughs> Pee Wee Herman just like got my hackles up. This is all very logical too. This yes, is coming like, back to that, that pitching this. I don't know how it went because like 
everybody was just hypnotized at something where we should have all felt exactly the way you're talking about it. Because I can't say why I don't feel that way, but it makes so much sense. It's just, it, it made me so deeply uncomfortable. And as I was watching it today, I was just like, you know why I didn't like this? Because I did not, and this is going to sound like I hate fun and that I was like, had a terrible childhood. So like, this is going to make everyone laugh. I could not stand anything with man children like this. I could not handle watching anything with an adult man failing upward and getting like through life without having any sense. And I didn't like get that as a kid. But as I was watching this and then I was texting my family because like my mom would, oh, my mom never showed me Pee Wee Herman, but would always laugh like Pee Wee Herman. So I don't really, I think it kind of freaked her out too. I think she was like, I don't need my kid acting like this. She was protecting you. She was protecting me. But my, my Mimi, my grandma was like, I can't stand when adults act like children. And I was like, huh, it all makes sense. I was raised as a very serious child, but could not suffer man children. And it's really benefited me for the long run, though, in my life that I will not suffer man children. But there was, I, I look, I get it. I, I get, I get it. The, it's, it's silly and kitschy and I love the aesthetic. It's very Tim Burton. I can, I get it to a degree, but Pee Wee Herman makes me want to tear out my eyeballs. You got through the whole movie? I did. I did get through the whole movie because I want, like, I want to know. I want to appreciate. I want to understand. I get it. Um, I do get it. I still don't particularly like it. Uh, see, I don't get it now. I get it because I got it. But if I didn't have it then, I'd be like, I I don't get it. Well, I mean, like, it's mostly I just get like, it was like a bunch of dudes got together, did a bunch of drugs, and they got money and just did whatever the fuck they wanted. And like, I mean, I guess good for them, but also like, rude. <laughs> Like, what's what's funny is that when when they gave him money to 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 go do this, what he, what I found that he did is he and his his co-writers read Sid Field's 1979 book screenplay and wrote a script according to the book's advice. So, quote, it's 90 minute film. It's a 90 page script on page 30. I lose my bike on page 60. I find it. It's literally exactly what they said to do in the book. There should be a MacGuffin kind of thing, something you're looking for. And I was like, okay, my bike. Like, he literally read the book and then just, this is what came out of it. And it's wild to me, A, that this was such a cultural, like, landmark of a film that made a ton of money, spawned the show, cemented Paul Rubens as Pee Wee, where he would only do interviews as Pee Wee. He wanted people to think Pee Wee was a real person. So like there, it, it's so bizarre to me that it all started because of Sid Field. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I think there's like, it, this came out in that era where there were a lot of movies about like, like weird dudes, like, like dumb and I, I think of like dumb and dumber and like mm -hmm. Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura, and it's like always these dudes who are like kind Adam of allowed Sanders to be absolute morons, and everyone loves them, and like they get the girl, and like I know that it's supposed to be like <laughs> funny, and it just I, it makes me so angry, it makes me furious. It doesn't matter, it shouldn't matter, but watching this now, and maybe because I just like 
in my, I just, in my 30 years of life have dealt with so many man children. Uh, I cannot stick this movie. I'm so sorry. I know I'm, <laughs> I'm here. I'm hearing this. I'm thinking this, this should be a podcast. You dissecting these. <laughs> because yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just the thing. It's like, what if, uh, what if man, but he's a, a robot and a pet detective <laughs> and he talks <laughs> out his butt. But like, I literally was wa- I was literally <laughs> watching this and wrote a note and I was like, how do I pay rent? <laughs> have this house. How does this man pay his rent? How does anything happen? Like I just and this is a, this is a motif with me where I will just think way too hard about these movies and be like, what's the logic? And it's like there's no logic. But I also am like but I have to understand where does he get the money to have a house like this? And why does he have beef with another giant man child whose bathtub is a pool? Okay, but Francis's bathtub, I that was the other thing that like I really remember because I remember being a kid and being jealous of him having this giant swimming pool bathtub where he was had chips and he was playing. And I tried to do that in my bathtub and it was not the same experience as Francis's. Like that I was jealous as fuck of... Uh, Francis's uh, pool. But what I what I do want to kind of hone in on is the other thing that I remember watching as I was watching this is like, oh, this is the movie that teachers absolutely hated. Because I don't I don't know if this is the same for you, for you, Nick, but in school, all of the kids that would watch this movie would um, do the scotch tape pulling up their nose thing, or they would be like, <laughs> I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? We're like, <laughs> that's my name. Don't wear it out. Like all of these things that he would say, there were there was some kid, some guy, some boy in my class that would make a complete ass of himself in, in class and would annoy the fuck out of teachers. I'm pretty sure this movie pissed off a generation of teachers. And it and it wasn't 90 minutes. It was just the kid's identity for however Forever. long that went on. <laughs> probably still to this day for some of them oh i was gonna say that kid's long dead but (laughs) (laughs) why why no i'm I'm sure he's doing fine i hope he wrote (laughs) an apology letter to his teacher oh man (laughs) like it's just i and i loved tim burton as a kid i grew up on tim burton stuff so like Edward Scissorhands was a huge, like, emotional, like, movie that, like, really got to me as a kid. Nightmare Before Christmas was, like, absolutely. And I know that's Henry Selick and that's the whole thing. But, like, Tim Burton was my shit. So I was actually, like, it was kind of surprising that I hadn't watched this. But I think, again, like, my mom wouldn't let me watch things, like, um, do you, this might have been, like, I'm a little bit younger. Did you guys know what Ed, Ed, and Eddie is from Cartoon Network, that cartoon? Did you ever watch that? I never had cable, so I never watched it, but I am familiar okay. with it. Okay. Have you heard uh, of I haven't Ed, seen Ed, it, but I, it's, uh, it's in my head somewhere. Basically, a cartoon about three friends named Ed, Ed, and Eddie who are, like, little gremlin boys who are terrible. And my mom would never let me watch anything that involved boys being gremlins or, like, having bad behavior because she didn't want us to have that behavior. So I feel like she didn't show me and my brother some of these movies so we wouldn't be annoying and be what she deemed gremlins. Which uh, sounds like I had a terrible childhood. I really didn't. Like, my mom was oh, pretty... My no, mom no, cool, mom, but I think no, mom's, like, mom's I laying know. a good foundation there. <laughs> there was always something that was the devil, like, um, you know, Bart, 
Bart, Bart Simpson was the devil when the oh, Simpsons yeah. came out. Which, yes, my mm. mom also didn't like Bart Simpson, but that was again because my the problem always became that my stepdad and my stepbrother would like latch on to things and say them all the time too. So I think she was worried. I'm projecting, but that my brother would catch on to the pee wee laugh and do it all the time. And I don't know if she would have made it if my yeah, brother somebody, was just doing somebody the told her laugh. the. She had a teacher friend that told told about a kid saying, I know you are, but what am I? And uh-huh. I was like, that's it. And then she said, absolutely the fuck not. I will not be doing this with my children. <laughs> you know what? I do think now that we're talking about it, that that might be why I don't have a lot of memories about this movie outside of like the big specific things is because my parents were so annoyed with Pee Wee Herman. I remember when we rented this on a VHS, it would have been, I guess, I guess 86 probably is when I saw it 86 or 87. So I would have been like six or seven when I first saw it. And like my parents hated Pee Wee Herman. And I do remember watching the show a couple (laughs) times and also being really annoyed with the show. I love the movie from what I remember, but the show with the couch and him and his laugh and everything just wasn't for me or my parents. I think (laughs) it, yeah, it never, Kind of watch it because it's like it's familiar and it's on but it's this the movie really had sort of a a lightning in a bottle thing i think there's a lot of a lot of hungry people involved like the the stars got this ridiculous thing that somebody somebody gave him millions of dollars to do this thing and he takes he takes that shot um and tim tim burton just coming out the gate doing the thing that we miss him doing so so well first, is this tim burton's first movie it's his first this movie. is this is his first feature and it's also um oh. uh danny elfman's first like feature film oh, like they real? yeah oh, like oh shit i don't think i realized that i knew it was early but i don't think i realized it was the first according to what i i saw online i guess um paul rubens was a fan of oingo boingo which danny elfman was part of and so introduced him to uh to Tim Burton and now they you know are match made in heaven for a very Wait, long time. What the fuck? We have Pee Wee Herman to thank for that. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I'll give him that. I'll give him that. It'd be weirder if he wasn't an Oingo Boingo fan, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. It would be weirder if he wasn't an Oingo Boingo fan. Just like Paul Rubens, I can we talk about Paul Rubens just like as a man and R.I.P. to Paul Rubens. He just passed away so recently, which is very sad. Um, I know how many people, and it's very funny because people love this fucking movie. I feel like like when he passed away, which was so sad, everyone's like Pee Wee Herman. I'm like, I don't fucking get it. I don't understand, but that's fine. What an interesting guy with his life, basically just being a man, man child. It's like very Adam Sandler, but with a nicer suit and more blush on his cheeks. It's very interesting. Him as a as a, as a I, person, as an actor. I want to say it's, I don't want to say tragic because I think, you know, I, I think he, he loved Pee Wee, but it's, um you know, Adam, Adam Sandler from what I get, I'm just talking like I know Adam Sandler and what makes him tick. But from <laughs> what I gather is like the man child he plays in a lot of movies is kind of like, there's a, that's a version of him where he just gets to vacation and goof around with his buddies and live like a good life that way where i don't think he has any qualms about those being the movies he does paul rubin 
he got to break out of it to a degree, but it's, yeah. I think it's something where he created this thing and it's uh, an, an Urkel effect, but bigger where you, you can't, you can't break it. His, um, you know, I think in a weird way that um, his, uh, his little theater arrest was like a great thing yeah. for him to do to sever off, which as kids, that's like, there's no fact of the internet or what it is. It's like you, the crime you think he committed was uh, horrific versus what actually happened. But um, it did let him put to rest that character a bit, um, you know, hurting the career and the good jillions of dollars it, it brought in. But I'm sure the, the whole thing was a little tired by then and then got to go and do like never huge but some interesting character work and then even some stuff where as a kid you're like wait that was peewee in this thing everything goes back to 30 rock for me and one of my favorite episodes of 30 rock is actually where he guest starred as one of the um as a prince from Habsburg and Habsburg is a real place that had like a descendant line that were all inbred because they wanted to keep their line pure and so he plays this character that is like supposed to be 24 or 25 and of course it's Pee Wee Herman and this is like in 2013-ish time frame and so it's like and that was a role that Tina Fey wrote just for him and so seeing that as an adult and laughing my ass off at, at his character and then realizing that he is he has comedic chops it's just that he was pigeonholed to do Pee Wee for such a long time that I I believe his yeah. star on the on the Hollywood Rock of Fame is actually Pee Wee. It's not Paul Rubens. So like the fact that oh, that has like oof. informed his entire career up until a specific point, it, it is it is. I'm I'm curious. Like I it's it's impossible to know now, but I'm like I wonder what that was like for him. Honestly, because you get a lot of money, but then you are Pee Wee and you're Pee Wee to everyone. And so when you are found in a, an adult theater it becomes a huge issue for you. Yeah. I also like, I I had actually just like realized that I think my mom also didn't show me Pee Wee Herman because I was born. When you were happen? born after it. I was born after it. So like, yeah, I was also show, I, I forgot that. I also wasn't really shown yeah. Pee Wee because when I had, when I was, when I was old enough to watch it, like he'd already kind of had a reputation of being a creep. So it don't, it like wasn't as prevalent for me because his reputation had already kind of been, messed up but I guess for me in my head I it's like it is really wild and like to a point like what is that like that it defined his career but at the same time like he was the guy who kind of made it his career at the same time like he I know that you know he didn't mean for it to get as crazy but like sometimes when guys like this make these characters I'm always curious about like them as people and like what does that say about you at the same time about like this kind of man child character it's always just interesting not saying that he was a bad person i'm just curious what trauma did he suffer to make him want <laughs> to be a little boy forever <laughs> is really what i'm asking here i honestly think because like initially when he was doing that hbo show he was it for him it was like a nostalgia thing where like he grew up yeah with, um yeah the 50s like like Captain Kangaroo, I think, or like Howdy Doody, or like all of those like okay. kid shows that had adults, but they were like four kids was something that he grew up on. And so like that initial HBO show and to to a lesser extent, his uh his primetime ABC, ABC, I can't remember what channel it was, but like broadcast channel um show 
was like this nostalgia of bringing back again because it was the 80s and 80s was in love with the 50s it was a bunch of like recreating those shows that he grew up on and so i think for him that is what initially probably started it based on everything i've seen mm, and then it's just okay. because you make you make a ton of money you make your career you know it's kind of yeah kind of get stuck true. in it good point yeah but, i think he i think he came to terms with what it was because he did you know there was a crash after the incident um he was kind of gone for a while and then he was doing some character work and Mm -hmm. then it then it became like pretty respectable and then much later he kind of brought peewee you know you're talking about feeding into nostalgia he got to do that again but with the character itself but in something where it's like everybody's in on it that you're not just always peewee um so brought it back with some stuff well also um he did a little bit of film and tv as um you know, not as Pee Wee. So, uh, and I'm sure he was paid handsomely for it as well. So I think it, uh, it a, a good, a good cycle of life for, for Pee Wee. <laughs> I mean, again, I get, I can, I can see the appeal for kids. It is very like candy coated, wild chaos, nuts. Again, I get it. I, I gotta know pre Pee Wee. I don't know where Pee Wee ranks. Who's your, like your number one most hated like man child character who is my number one most hated man child character um i'm having deja vu mary beth because i'm pretty sure we've talked about man children on this on this podcast before at some point because i like what you're talking about like brought me back to deja vu about about it but i can't remember what it was about talk about man children a lot so like (laughs) (laughs) it's like trying to think it's like all the adam sandler movies are big ones that like piss me off like happy gilmore and like um what's the other one billy madison um those ones really bother me dumb and dumber really pissed me off ace ventura like the jim carrey movies and like i thought jim carrey was so funny and i think that helped but it it always got on my nerves and like Jack Black also kind of played a lot of those guys like in Shallow Hell and those kinds of movies. And I think it was really frustrating to see a lot of these schlubby dudes that are like, again, failing upward, like get all the attention. It's just kind of infuriating. I've got I've got a couple like anti this character movies that I'm like, you gotta, you gotta check this okay. out. You haven't tell seen me. Um, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Uh, okay. So have you have you ever seen um, the movie Zero Charisma? No, I have not. It's okay. like, okay, yeah. So it's uh, it's probably about 10 years ago. It's a um, relatively low-budget low indie. And it's about this guy who's like, he's like the big boss nerd of like a D&D circle. D&D. And like just that type of like man-child character but he's a total piece of shit and the movie just embraces that and shows that it's like he sees himself in some other lens than what like the world is and it's huh. real really good at sort of uh just look at this type of character and then another one that i would um recommend even higher if you haven't seen it is um have you seen red rocket no but i really want to i really want to yes it's Oh my! That's a god. That's a good dissect, I, dissection of of that 
True. Yeah, I would say it's an even better dissection, and I'm not even going to get into it. Just just watch it when you get a chance. And um, yeah, it's it's struck a hell of a chord with me. Loved this movie, and if you want to see this this character fail upwards, but then eat some shit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. The last bit of like nostalgia that this movie awakened in me. I'm looking back at my notes, and the other one is when peewee gets the mr t cereal because branded cereal in the 80s was so big like pop culture branding the the super mario and then there was mm-hmm. like a, a nintendo cereal that was like cut in half it, it was two it was a half box and one two of it was cereals in one yeah it was zelda Le- legend of zelda on one side and super mario brothers on the other there was the mr t cereal there was star wars cereal there was like anything that like was remotely hidish they would plop it on a cereal and basically resell Captain Crunch as Mr. T. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it, it's just they were, they were definitely Captain Crunch slash corn pops. Mm-hmm. And then I cut oh, and then I part of me wants to try these cereals and then which like I a, a reprint of it. I don't want 30-year-old cereal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also well, you know, I I might. Um, they have so much preservatism, and they probably are okay. They probably would survive. <laughs> there's there's a Pac-Man cereal, which I think was the same yep. thing, but then also with some Lucky Charms marshmallows. Uh, yep. yeah. Little ghosties. Wayne, mm-hmm. Wayne Gretzky had a cereal. Everybody had a cereal. Everyone, Everyone had, had a cereal, cereal. in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Mr. Mr. T is another like, what a what a thing. Like it's yeah. not it's not Pee-wee, but a whole just other oh, a career of this character but i think the line was blurred of like mr t the character and mr t the man yeah Yeah. that i don't envy anyone like peewee herman paul rubin and mr t like having that kind of become you like that's got to be so weird and difficult to like exist you know what i mean like that it's like yeah, you make a lot of money, but at the same time, like that has that has got to be exhausting. Pity the fool that has to have that. Ex- I'm sorry. Wow, <laughs> I walked. I know. I know. <laughs> that was but amazing. Insert insert peewee laugh. Ah, that's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> How was that, Mary Beth? <laughs> ah. Nailed it. Incredible note. Um, is there anything else we want to hit on with PB's Big Adventure before we wrap up and give us a rating out of five? There is one one thing. Okay. I watching this now as a as a queer man in his forties. The some of the queer subtext in this was surprising to me. With like his relationship with the 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 crook that steals the car at one point, where the oh, the guy yeah. the guy calls him babe at one point. And then also uses the same exact line for Pee-wee that Pee-wee had used on Dottie when Dottie was trying to hit on him. And he's like, I'm a loner, I'm a rebel. And that's the same line that he does. And so, like, the fact that we have this one character who is Dottie, who, by the way, is Rugrats's voice actress. Like, she voice, oh. she was the voice actress of, um, who did she, who was she? Uh, I think it was Rugrats. Am I making, I might be making that all up. But she was she's done like voice work. She was in she did. She was the voice of Babe and Babe Pig in the City. She was uh, Buttercup from the Powerpuff Girls. Um, 
I'm trying to okay. think. But like the fact that we have that where she is so obviously in love with with Pee Wee, which is kind of weird because she's an adult and he's playing a kid. Like it's very weird. And then we have the same thing. Yeah. Or is he just I thought he was playing like a just a strange adult man who like had something wrong with him. Is he actually a child? Does anyone have an answer for I me? Thought so. I, I think thought that's he part was. of the. I think that's part of the fascination of Pee Wee. Is it's the first, the first of these things to be like, he he is. He's not. He's not man or child. He's Pee Wee. <laughs> exactly. But he gets in the car with with the crook, and the crook is like calling him babe, and then uses those lines. And there, I don't know. There, every single time he is confronted with a woman, he like is like, "Oh, I gotta stay away." And at one point, you could look at it as like childhood innocence, but then on the other side, it's like there's something there that, like, as an adult now that I'm watching, I'm like, huh, okay. Give me gay peewee. <laughs> Was Paul Rubin gay? Don't know. Okay. Okay. I I mean, he got in trouble for a bunch of um, queer erotica that he had in, like, yeah. the uh, 2000s, oh, some of which had underaged kids in it. So I, I don't know. Like he's yeah. he's was dated he dated a lot of women but of course if you were closeted in that time frame that's what you did yeah like I don't know oh, I wonder if he didn't I, I don't know not to, I, that's not I don't want to speculate about especially if he has passed away but it's just like I wonder if he if there's any there has felt any pressure about like his sexual identity and being Wee too but who the fuck knows but interesting huh yeah interesting. Um, on that depressing note, <laughs> woo, uh, do you want to give us our rating out of five? Sounds good. Sorry, Paul Rubin. Um, all right, Terry, you're up first. How many? I know you are, but one of my out of five do you give Pee Wee's Big Adventure? I mean, it could be really annoying and just say it the amount of times that I rate it. I will kick <laughs> your ass through the computer. You know, I, th- this is a three for me. I, I think as a kid, it would have been much higher. Um, as an adult, I, I find his character very annoying, but I think that there is like a, so much inventiveness in this. And I think it is such a surreal trip that I am surprised became such a cultural moment in the eighties. The fact that we get like this um, fantastic meta um, ending where like he is, racing through the warner brothers lot he's he gets his bike back by basically selling his life story and then getting turned into a movie played by james is it james brolin is that what is that what his name was and and morgan fairchild as Dottie. like the fact that that is how this ends is wild to me and i started watching this thinking oh my gosh is this where um michael myers got his idea for austin powers 3 where like there's the austin powers movie that steven spielberg is directing? like i'm like i see this and i'm thinking this is there's some really smart stuff in here in amongst it being such a surreal trip for kids that i it, it's it's three for me because it is not something that i will go revisit <laughs> but like it has it, there's something there that i think is is wild and quintessentially 80s so that's that's for me. What about you, Mary Beth? Yours <laughs> is gonna probably be lower. <laughs> All right, I I very much appreciate how much everyone loves Pee Wee Herman. 
I I like the kitsch of it all. I think I would love to see a John Waters version of Pee Wee. I also feel like John Waters loves Pee Wee Herman. I don't know if I actually read that somewhere or if I just get the vibe that this would be a John Waters vibe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I would love to see John Waters make a super perverted, weird Pee Wee Herman movie. Um, So badly do I desire to see a perverted Pee Wee Herman movie, which I don't know what that says about me as a person. Uh. But I it, it's a two for me. I again I appreciate the aesthetic and what it is, and some of the jokes made me laugh. Like I remember the Alamo and everyone cheers. Like okay, come like it's a it's a classic. I I will laugh at that. It's so ridiculous, but it's funny. And when he says I'm in Texas, and he starts singing, and they all start singing back. Like I will give it credit. There's some really clever stuff going on here. But Pee Wee Herman as a character makes my skin crawl. It's a two. Uh, Nick, you have the final word. How many? I know you are, but what am I? Is do you give? Uh, I' gonna counter with a solid four. It's, cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's 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 not a five because fives are fives. But uh, you know, we're we're still talking about this movie, this thing that should have been a uh, a one and done character that no that nobody remembers, or it's like oh, that was it's still still has life and just like all the the magic that we talked about on who who was involved some first from some like real heavy hitters in the industry and just the the hunger and and desire to go weird go weird and that weird to be a hit like it's it's fine to dig up weird and be like oh this is a weird little movie but this movie was massive and spawned so much and i and i think it's for a reason i think it's a solid four for me hell yeah yeah cool well thank you so much nick for joining us to talk about peewee's big adventure where can our listeners find you online and what do you have to share that you can um talk about the floor is yours um yeah if you want to find me online i'm the unfortunately on twitter for some reason i think they call it x now but i refuse to to do so um yeah, I'm just gonna like stay on on that ship until it sinks or just becomes worse. Um, yeah, I'm on on Twitter uh, talking about nonsense, probably talking about Pee Wee and this uh, this podcast. Um, and yeah, if you're into horror and westerns and love this stuff together and dad lit, then check out uh, Skinning the the Coyote. I promise you're in for a good time. Can confirm. Yeah. If you like bloody, scary monsters, it's a good time. Um, but listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Where do you fall on the side of loving or being terrified of uh, <laughs> Pee Wee Herman? You can Sometimes let us in the know. Same, in the same <laughs> thought. <laughs> you can let us know by sending us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter and or other social media platforms. On Twitter, I am at MB McAndrews. And I think I'm also that on Blue Sky. You are. And I am at <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Gaily Dreadful everywhere. Blue Sky, Twitter. If Twitter is still here by the time this comes out, who knows? Um, and make sure to follow the podcast on all the socials. We are at Scarred Podcast on Twitter. We are at Scarred for Life Podcast on Instagram and on Blue Sky. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to help support us, we do have a Patreon. We sure fucking do. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. Most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time.